back to Happy Porch Radio, the podcast for ambitious agency leaders. This season is all about Umbraco, the friendly CMS. Join your host, Barry O'Kane, as he talks to web agency leaders and Umbraco experts about the challenges and opportunities that a specific technology like Umbraco brings to our agencies. Hello and welcome to another episode of Happy Porch Radio. This is episode 8 of season 2, and as you know, season 2 is all about Umbraco, the friendly CMS. In this show, I speak to Aaron and Dane from BKA Digital Outfitters, an Umbraco Gold Partner Agency in Auckland, New Zealand. And there are two really interesting aspects of our conversation that I hope you find especially valuable. The first is the story about how the agency grew a product from the experiences and the challenges they faced with client work. The product is called The Mirror, and its purpose is to assist in scaling Umbraco websites to the very large. The second aspect is how BKA sell their expertise and not the platform. So huge thanks to Aaron and Dane for sharing their story with us. So my name is Aaron McGee. I am a technical architect at BKA Digital Outfitters in New Zealand. I'm really passionate about uh, about software development and Braco, and uh, I've got tons of Braco experience behind me, and uh, really, really glad to be here. Hi, I'm uh, Dane Tartana. I'm the general manager here at BKA. We're uh, an agency, as Aaron said, about in uh, Auckland, New Zealand. We've been uh, around for about 15 years, and we make websites, SaaS products, and applications, um, most of which use Braco. We're about a team of about 35 at the moment and um, enjoying using those platforms. Cool. So you've, you guys, the agency have been around for 15 years. Can you tell me a little bit about where it started and what made it happen? So the, the, it didn't start off away from Braco. In fact, we started off, the company was founded by a lovely CEO, Bob Anderson, who, uh, in fact, started off just creating, creating websites in Fireworks. Uh, over time, of course, this, this approach it was a was a pretty limited approach, as you can imagine. And so, as as, we, as, as the company started acquiring developers, we uh, we moved on to more serious platforms. And one of the first ones that we endeavored endeavored into was Umbraco. And I think we started out around the Umbraco Umbraco four point. I think, I guess, in my view, in in Umbraco's uh, chronology, Umbraco four is where it really started getting good and it really started becoming viable in an enterprise. So, so, so that's where we picked it up. And I think that would have been uh, sometime in the last ten years, anyway. But yes, uh, basically we 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 uh, we picked up in Braco, and uh, we haven't we haven't looked back since. We've been uh, uh, pretty much, I'd say, probably about ninety percent of our project work is is in Braco, possibly even more. It's it's a it's, it's a very versatile platform. It allows you to 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 do just about anything you want. Uh, it stays out of your way, but it, it provides the tools, uh, I guess the CMS tools um, that you need in order to meet whatever, I guess, data management require, requirements your, your client may have. In those early stages, do you know what led like the decision to go to Umbraco versus any other CMS platform? Yes, so uh, we, we had in-house uh, a lot of .NET developers. Uh, but the thing about uh, the thing about uh, .NET and, and CMSs is that I guess quite a lot of the CMSs out there are quite closed source. There's often quite a high price tag attached. You know, I hate to name name CMSs, but for instance, Sitecore 
very expensive to close off. But one of the most important things for us, I guess, when we're, when we're selecting a platform, is that it's very important to us that if we have a problem, that we have the option to look into it and try to fix it ourselves. Be able to take the source code, uh, clone it, and and uh, and take some of the debugging symbols and stick it in our code, and be able to see exactly what's going wrong when something goes wrong. That's a, that's a huge win for us, and uh, and definitely a, a, a mark in favor from Braco versus using one of the uh, other proprietary CMSs out there. Even if perhaps we're using one of those other 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 format, other CMSs, we might perhaps have benefited from, from better support. But but being able to, to solve our own problems ourselves. Is, is a huge, huge win in, in favor in favor from Braco. What are the reasons that they use Umbraco? Is it led from yourselves in terms of the technology, or is it something that they've they've heard about and you and use already, or is it something that comes from some third, you know, another place? Well, so we, we tend to get a bit of a blend. So we have clients that come to us because of our Umbraco expertise, and so they've come and they've already uh, procured a CMS, and then they're looking for who are the gold partners, etc. Um, and we're sort of on the top of that list. And then there's the other people that come to us. Uh, most of the websites and things that we build are, are more than just a website. They often have some level of um, deep integration or platform or utility to them, uh, in which case we re- always recommend Embraco because of, as Aaron mentioned, the flexibility of, of it to get out of our way so that we can build whatever we want, however we want to, but still know that we've got a solid um, base there. When you're having those sorts of conversations, do you put the technology front and center of like if you're doing proposals or pitches or whatever, or is it sort of by the way here's this is one of the tools that this is the main tool that we use? We tend to sell our expertise rather than the platform. So the platform is is in a sales type process. The platform is more secondary. So we go you know for example at a proposal it'll be at the back. And in a presentation, it'll be if they need to hear about it. Most of the time, if decision makers just need to know the comfort level that it can do what it needs to. Mm. But quite often you find with clients' existing websites is that very often those clients aren't using Umbraco to their fullest potential. Sometimes there are features of Umbraco, such as, for instance, the image cropper, such as, for instance, uh, the content editing blocks, which perhaps the clients aren't necessarily familiar with yet because they aren't using them. And that's a real opportunity, I think, to, to, to show them those features and uh, help them to leverage those features when we rebuild for them. Yeah, that's really interesting to me. So there's two sort of angles at the expertise that you're talking about. One is somebody who's familiar or knows Umbraco, but you're able to add extra value above and beyond that because you have a, you know, a real deep understanding of how to use the technology to help them. Actually, that's paraphrasing slightly what you're saying. And then the second thing where you're saying is like we we sell our expertise, this is what we do, and here is the toolkit that we use to make that happen. Is that a fair sort of um, summary? Yeah, yeah. Knowing Embraco really well, we also know it's some of its major shortfallings, particularly around things of scale and load. And so we we've also developed and just in the process now of launching a secondary services business where we've comp- we've built, actually Aaron's led the development on a um, service that we're calling the Mirror, which uh, helps Embraco at large scales. It's a mirror, not a cache, Aaron calls yes. it, but um, you probably want to describe it at this point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have found with Embraco actually that, um, I mean, uh, Embraco advocates this very interesting low balance setup. We have, I suppose, a master instance and multiple slaves. 
and those slaves, are, um, those slaves uh, sell the counter, and the master is essentially your CMS instance. But a very serious issue, I guess, we've kind of encountered, I guess, along the line with the Bronco is that this configuration is very poor for, for ensuring availability because, um, uh, uh, you know, there's a dirty word in, in the Embraco community, but there's the XML cache, which uh, sometimes it has to be updated. The master instance has to send the message to update the XML cache to its slaves, and then the slaves, uh, they, they, um, they, they, you know, they, they, they process the update and, and they all go down simultaneously. And so this is very much averse, uh, this is very much contrary to, um, uh, uh, to, 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 to the way that low balance should generally work. And so what we found is very important is to separate it, separate out Umbraco and what's serving the content to the user because Umbraco provides a really good content management experience, really good experience. But uh, it, for large scale projects, Umbraco is, 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 uh, uh, is not always the, the, the best at serving, serving the actual content, but we were like, no problem, we can fix that. Let's create something that sits in front of Embraco, which, which uh, takes the content out of Embraco, but is, but is fundamentally separate, and then can kind of remain stable, can remain, can remain speedy, provide the best experience possible for users without, without, uh, without suffering from these shortfalls that the Embraco engine presents. And just to describe how that looks, a content editor will go into Embraco, edit all their content, and then there's a big button in there that says push to mirror, and then the content is then pushed to this third-party mirror which sits out there, and then if, if Embraco was to melt down and completely break and completely go offline, the website's still up and will be up forever until such time as we go in and they fix it, what's happened in Embraco, which happens at scale all the time. Brilliant. Okay, so I'd like to sort of dig into that in, in two different places. One, to talk a little bit about what led you to developing this and how it fits into your agency. Like, what was there a particular sort of a trigger point or what led to you thinking, let's actually um, develop this? So we work with a few kind of companies that fall into that bracket that had those problems, one of whom is a global fitness chain with um, about 18,000 gyms around the world, huge digital presence, huge engine in Embraco, which we sort of inherited and realized we needed to bolster up pretty quickly. And then um, after that, also a, a bunch of clients, particularly in the media space, that have got a huge amount of content coming to us and saying, can you help stabilize this? We've had some Embraco people, we've had you know, an Embraco agency look at it, but it needs fixing badly. So we saw a bit of a theme and the guys did the Kiwi thing, which was to build something to fix the problem. How did the like? What's the next stage? You're sort of sort of now you're building that out and looking to. Uh, it's it sounds like you're looking to sort of productize that or use that as a way to generate more value and more business for the agency. That's correct. Yeah. So Aaron's actually leading a team who have taken the the a couple of the isolated services that we provided with the mirror and put it into more of a productized state and created a, a you know a service almost. That you know where we can maintain it from one place, but our, our intention in the next few days is to PR it and uh, take it to market. So everything's just waiting there, and we're, we'll be launching it in the next few days. Cool. And when you say productized, do you? I mean, is it completely? Is it something that can be productized, and you'll be looking to include as part of your other services, or something that could also be implemented standalone by somebody else? Yeah, standalone. I mean, um, what we would like to do is probably not on our own doorstep, but um, we'd like to serve it up as a service to other agencies around the world is the goal. So 
just a related question to that and something that I'm always very interested in is so you're in this process of keeping the agency going and build and, and the ongoing services but you're also now sort of productizing or doing the sort of software internal product development is that something that you've always wanted to do is that something you found challenging uh, it's something that we've always um, wanted to do um, people sort of tend to think uh, quite entrepreneurially I guess if we if we're allowed to say that uh, where we look at we look at we're creating something once or filling a need and trying to see the business opportunity to turn it into a product or a service. So it's always easiest when you're when you are developing a product to, to think of a product in terms of a, a client's problems. What, what what problems are our clients facing? Uh, and, and so quite a lot of I suppose what, what we what we we develop just comes down to uh, you know what, what which are our clients. What do our clients need, and then once we've identified what they need and we develop it, how do we make this really reusable? How do we how do we how do them then use this to solve other clients' problems as well? And even if you're not going to to the to the length, so you're talking about where actually productizing it, but sort of internally productizing it to help with you know future products and projects makes sense. And within an agency, I think that's an opportunity agencies often miss. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. Exactly. I mean, we're all pretty guilty a lot of the time of doing the same thing over and over and over again. Um, where so we try to minimise that as much as possible. So you're talking about the content getting mirrored or, or pushed to a different front end or like a different publishing system. How is what what is that custom built? That part is it? How what? Just really briefly. Uh, so uh, so that that machine is built upon. Um, uh, a cluster of machines, uh, so it generates a configuration of five generally quite low-powered machines, which um, uh, and you and you have like a, a microservices, a series of microservices distributed between them in such a way that, say, if you were to, to remove one of the servers from the cluster, the servers that, that the services that were that were operating on that cluster, uh, so on the cluster would redistribute themselves between the remaining servers. So at all times, uh, between between what servers are available. Every bit of functionality that, that the mirror requires uh, is 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 is, uh, is kept, kept functional across across the entire cluster, and so it's a very resilient kind of architecture. Instead of having one server for one role, you have each server uh, running potentially multiple microservices, and and they communicate with each other, each other in a very tight way and operate as a unit. And so, is there any functionality that that can't support? I'm thinking of things like personalization and members and that kind of stuff. So for dynamic content, um, uh, there are a couple of approaches. The first approach, uh, the first approach, which is uh, what works for uh, very well for websites that uh, have minimal um, have minimal dynamic content, or, or perhaps uh, uh, content which essentially what it does is it, is it kind of passes through to the underlying website. Now, when a website is built with the mirror in mind, uh, the idea is is that those those uh, those APIs. That, that serve that dynamic content are then rather built directly into uh, the cluster that, that hosts the mirror, if that makes sense. And that way you get a much much more native performance uh, uh, for, the, for, the, for that dynamic content. Uh, there's also a cache-supported uh, um, mechanism for, uh, for serving dynamic content where, where you can serve dynamic content very quickly uh, and, and it'll, it'll um, perform uh, it will manage its own case so that it can record the information very quickly when it's required. Is there a point at which, in terms of scale, you are aiming this uh, the product? Well, we find actually that this the, these problems that we're trying to solve with Embraco are applicable to a, a very surprising range of clients of different sizes. 
So we find even we even had even some smaller clients because of the fact that they manage a very large amount of information in Braco, they, they do run into the um, the XML caching problems. They run into the instability issues. They run into run into the same kinds of problems that that, that I suppose the larger companies might might, might might run into. You know, and so whereas I think you know uh, there are users of Braco that this could be applicable to of just about any size. Uh, I, I definitely reckon that that, 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 that that I suppose people who are using Branco with a lot of content, with a lot of content entry, a lot of content nodes, th- those are the people who who, uh, who this is probably best targeted at. Large audiences for large amounts of content. Um, and the, the, the goalposts keep moving in terms of speed and stuff as well. You know, we're doing stuff with Google AMP at the moment, um, and it's all around speed. Uh, but a solution like this, if we're not ready to dive into that yet, then it can solve a huge amount of mobile speed issues that a lot of the clients, you know, especially if they were built two or three years ago, the Abraco is not optimized to deliver that content really fast on mobile. So it, it covers that as well. Yes, I mean, if you've, um, uh, if you've probably browsed on mobile before, if you're on a mobile device and, and, you, and you're, you're waiting three seconds for a site to load, you'll probably go somewhere else, you know? I mean, if you take, take into account the, the standard or average speed that a, a website takes to load nowadays, it's well longer than three seconds, but apparently three seconds is like the average, and the average it will take for users for users to give up and go somewhere else. And and so uh, speed is speed and reliability is so paramount to 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 to, to retaining uh, retaining visitors to your website. I am interrupting the podcast for a quick announcement. This podcast is made possible with the support of Endzone Software, where we relieve technical pressure for creative agencies. Are you running a creative or marketing-led agency that's struggling with tech and development? If so, we can help. To remove all your technical headaches, go to endzonesoftware.com slash pressure. That's endzonesoftware.com slash pressure. And now back to the show. So just to go back to something we were talking about at the start, do you at any point get any challenges or like pushback from clients asking about Embraco or questioning it? Yeah, if they've been using Embraco 4 for a long time. So you've got clients that are using Embraco 4 and they have been for six years or so. And so unless you do a bit of a show and tell and go, this is what it looks like now and this is the experience, they're sort of a little bit put off by it because it's pretty, pretty dated. Other than that, though, there's no, in our market, at least there's no negative feelings towards, um, certainly in Barack 07 plus, um, it's all pretty well received. We find that generally IT professionals within an organization tend to love it because they, they, you know, because it's transparency and it's open source nature and they can get in and have a look at it and they feel that there's no sort of hidden threats or supplier lock-in. And then um, with, with our sort of more marketing, comms-led uh, side of the businesses, when we're talking to those guys, um, or you just have to show them a bit of a demo about how simple something is like the image cropper or, um, you know, like some of the um, the, the uh, blocks, you know, what are they called? Grid editor. Grid editor blocks, you know, and you show them the key features and they're, they're pretty impressed by it. And you also mentioned that you sort of really started using Umbraco at version four, which back in the day was a was a significant you know quantum leap forward. And then, from my in my opinion, version seven was in a similar kind of step. And that's kind of I think what you were implying there is if somebody's been looking at version four for a while, it does look dated and whatever. 
but then the show and tell is enough to sort of overcome most of those hurdles. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's what we find. You know, um, people are pretty pretty impressed with it. I've not had, I can't remember having any pushback, certainly from someone on four to show them seven, other than you know, wow effect. Okay, and we've, so we've touched on a couple of challenges there: the sort of perception thing, and modernizing, and the scale uh, thing. What other aspects of Mumbraco would you say, from an agent, from your agency point of view, are challenging? Um, well, we, we we had a bit of a challenge, which actually um, Aaron also designed around code first. Uh, yeah. Do you want to talk through that a little bit? Yeah. So uh, we found it quite challenging. Um, uh, I guess when you're in an agency like us, you're just thinking about test environments, your developer environments, thinking about production. And you're making changes in the bracket, right? You're making configuration changes, and those changes have to migrate from place to place. And we were thinking about solving these problems, I guess, quite early on in our development of an embargo. And I guess since then, there have been uh, there have been uh, approaches presented by uh, uh, um, by Embraco, which 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 hope to address this issue. But our approach to the issue has been uh, to take to take the code first approach. That is. Uh, you create a series of models. You network the models together, representing the, representing the uh, your tree of content, and then the, and then the content of, of, in the tree is automatically mapped to your models in such a way that uh, uh, that everything, every, all your data access is strongly typed, such that uh, such that um, uh, when you go from environment to environment, even the, even if the database has not been configured or set up yet, the migration will occur. Uh, or the migration will proceed. Uh, migration of the embarkment configuration will proceed automatically, uh, and so that's how we kind of fix that problem of of having to normally, I, I guess, manually configure each environment or each database as as, as it advances the various stages of testing and and, and deployment. And and, it's, and, it, and, it, and and we're still using it today. It's, it's working very well for us. And you use that for the initial uh, migration process, but also on an ongoing basis. Is that right? Yes. So uh, yes, we do. We do uh, place a lot of importance on on peer review here and, and pull requests, and we have a very strong procedure in place that, that obliges everyone to uh, to create a pull request before making any modifications. Right. So that's infrastructure changes because we do infrastructure as code. That means uh, a private configuration because we do code first, and that also means uh, any of course any 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 changes to business logic. And so uh, and so we have full oversight over everything that happens. And we don't have to give anyone access to anything, anything that they don't need to have access to. And so that, that's more secure. It's uh, 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 there's, um, there's less chances of anything going wrong because there's two, always two developers who see the code before it goes out. And they see everything. They see absolutely everything. That's one of the massive benefits of the code-first approach, in our opinion, is, is that, is that it, it, it's so hard to slip something by that shouldn't, shouldn't get through, essentially. Okay, so that's actually quite a good little segue to talk a little bit about processes. So um, you've just described there uh, the importance of uh, of pull requests and I guess a proper, however it's defined, a proper development process. Um, how else within the agency? How, what other you know? How how are things structured internally for in an operational sense? So uh, I, I guess um, our, our content, our sort of delivery pipeline. I guess from my perspective as a developer. Uh, you've got uh, you've got uh, your account uh, account managers, and I suppose your uh, and of course your, your BAs and, and uh, so, so, so we'll begin generally by creating user stories, work items in uh, in, uh, in in ML project management system. I suppose we'll begin creating work items that uh, those will then be handed to a developer. The developer will, uh, will be handed handed the project or. They will uh, write code. They will sign their work, those work items, those user stories, and so on, to their code. 
that will create a pull request from that code, a pull request will get, will get, will get reviewed, the pull request uh, uh, get an initial review by a second developer, the developer will sign it off. Uh, then there is a second vote, which is required of approval from, uh, uh, from the account manager in question. And so the account manager essentially oversees that the project and the, 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 uh, the code has been tested, that the client has approved the vote for the change uh, uh, to go live. So it's undergone user acceptance testing. And so, uh, so, so when the account manager signs it off, uh, the, the code is then uh, is then merged into the production branch, that the um, which then triggers a release, of course, and the release is then again approved, which then engages a, an automatic deployment, which which uh, sends it to its uh, sends it to its environment. So all of our deployments are are, are automated. Uh, that's very important to us, having having people touching environments manually, um, people logging in. It's it's slow and it's inconsistent and and it's very very prone to error. So it's very important to us that we uh that we that we, have, we have as much done by machine as possible and as much enforced by machine as possible as well. And so I, I guess that's the cornerstone of, of of how we do process here at BK. That, that's sort of um, within the development yes part of development of a um, space, but obviously we're surrounded and wrapped in a load of other typical agency services. Yeah, so and you, by that I assume you're meaning the client, the account management, client-facing stuff, and the design, and then marketing, and, and uh, is that what you mean when you say the whole? So, yeah. Yeah, all of that, and we have BAs here as well who document requirements and um, all that sort of stuff too. And so, from the client's point of view, what's their kind of experience of sort of what's their vision of seeing the, the, all that operations uh, stuff that's busy in the background? So, what? How much of the process do they touch? Yeah, and I'm thinking about if you have any particular communication tools or you know client dashboard, any anything like that. Yeah, so we tend to work across you know the, the typical suite of project management tools and things, um, everything from Jira to Basecamp to something as simple as Trello, um, Workflow Max, things like that. Um, and, and that on our particularly on the larger clients where they have a, a management tool embedded, we just adapt to them. They don't, they, they, they client time and touch on our processes really big upfront in terms of the defining requirements, getting all the analysis of what they need, design, et cetera, et cetera. And then once it hits production after design, um, and then they are pretty much removed from the process and they don't really need to be. So we, we say to them that we'll spend a lot of time together upfront, then we're going to disappear for a few months, um, and then reappear with your working product. Typically, they tend to bang on the door about two weeks before it's ready, saying, "Can they enter their content?" Which is something that, uh, which is a continual challenge with every project. When they go, "I know it's not ready at the front end, but but can I get into Embraer and start entering content?" Which is, <laughs> but they don't really see much of the um, operations in the background, you know, on pull requests, etc. So yeah, on, on, and just on that note, so are, are most of the is most of that work you do project based like that, or are there like uh, support maintenance or ongoing retainer or anything of, of that and that nature? Yeah, so we have a, um, a split of you know retainer work where we're constantly looking at um, our clients' websites and trying to make them more efficient, trying to get them to deliver what they're there for. So we'll do things like um, user experience reviews against the goals. For example, Volkswagen is one of our clients here, and we're constantly reviewing and trying to make the funnel for booking a test drive or booking a service more efficient, um, everywhere through to SEO for some of our clients or ongoing you know, maintenance on some of the larger SaaS products that we've built. 
Brilliant. Yeah, and uh, there's a lot more I'm sure I would really like to dig into, but I don't want to take up uh, all of your all of your time. Actually, there is one question I'd like to ask about sort of culture and how Umbraco fits in. I, I, I have a personal interest in how the technology or if the technology kind of impacts culture or if it's vice versa. One of the things early on you said was it was really important to be able to like see and work with the code and hence open source is really valuable to you. So do you think that's a sort of symbiotic relationship or that, you know, does the tools you use have an impact on the, on the, the you know, does it happen the other way? Do the tools you use have an impact on your culture? I think, I think so, definitely, yes. So the fact that we're using an open source tool uh, gives us, uh, I guess, a sense that, that, that we're, I guess, we're in, uh, so if something goes wrong, that we are in a position to fix it. And therefore, we're accountable for it. You know, I, I mean, uh, for a lot of companies, I suppose, who, who operate uh, on, on, on commercial platforms, that their response to oh, there's something wrong, might, might be to pass it up on to another company or to point fingers at another company and then fix it. But but, but we we are at uh, least to a, to, a, to, a, to a certain degree able to to to, uh, to I guess overcome that uh, overcome that, uh, that, that that finger pointing and overcome the. I guess the paralysis you might have operating on a commercial platform, and, and really, really take personal ownership. And I think I, th- I think that's a very positive impact that Embraco has had on our, on our company culture. Uh, from my point of view, because obviously Aaron's on the development team. Um, from my point of view, from a client-facing perspective as well, it just comes with a bit of belief, and maybe this is just in our culture, but it comes with a bit of a belief that you can do anything with it, and that's putting a little bit too much responsibility on the platform. But you, it, because you know that it's not going to get in the way or if we come up against some issues or some bumps and our developers are going to be able to get over them because Embraco is not getting in the way, it, get, it broadens out the spectrum of what you're talking to your clients about. So we, we've got several instances where we build a website and then from the same CMS, you go, you know, let's plug an app into it and power an app from, this, from Embraco out of the same CMS as their website, for example. So it just sort of broadens out some of the conversations you have as well. And, and, and it's also probably worth mentioning, most of the developers we hire, I think, come with a mindset of they're a developer, not a web developer. And I think if they were stuck on a proprietary platform where they're just creating page templates, I think that would probably bore them a little bit. But most of them don't know Embraco when they join us and they learn it on the go and they learn it really quickly. And I think they're, they're pretty impressive. Yeah, that the recruitment side is a whole other topic. Do you recruit for like uh, .NET experience or, or Microsoft Stack experience, or do you recruit for sort of broader, I guess, problem-solving, learning abilities and that kind of stuff? I think principally for backend, we recruit for .NET backend developers that can apply um, good coding principles. We have an extremely difficult refactoring exercise that has like a 98% fail rate, um, much to the much that it pisses off our recruitment agencies a hell of a lot but we don't really care about we don't really look at things like you know um, cultural fit and um, personality all that sort of stuff first we want to know you know are you going to apply some basic principles and then built into that test is some problem solving stuff you've got to read the instructions correctly you've got to have a a decent level of comprehension and problem solving ability etc etc and then when they come in you know we're pretty We've got a fantastic culture here. We're not like your typical agency where everyone's like playing table tennis and everything like that. We're much more family orientated and responsive to what people like to do rather than force a typical agency culture onto them. And we're pretty welcoming of everyone. So if you pass the test and you're not a dick, you'll normally get a job. So final couple of questions. Looking forward 
to the future in terms of where your agency is going and where the team's going, how does Umbraco like do, does Umbraco fit into that? And does does Umbraco impact on your decisions as you look forward? Well, we're certainly very excited about the promises made in Umbraco Eight. For instance, the becoming of new cash. We'd love to see how, how new cash uh, fixes many of the problems that Umbraco currently creates for some, some some categories of clients. I'm really excited about some of the other features coming out, coming out from Umbraco Eight. Generally, as well, um, uh, moving forward, we'd, we'd love to find, figure out new ways of, I suppose, creating a, a better separation of concerns between the CMS and the rest of the application. Uh, so let Umbraco be a CMS, be an amazing CMS, and this other piece here, which, which drives this other important piece, piece of the, the functionality on the side. Let, let, let these components be separate and let, let, let them uh, operate independently in a way where uh, uh, where they're not burdening each other down, essentially. One of our one of our um, issues as somebody that, that people that have been working with Abraco for so long is we we're actually questioning it, it's not the answer to everything, and so when you get a new opportunity you go cool Abraco and actually we're challenging ourselves at the moment that it shut it, that it it won't be the default anymore we'll choose it on purpose so that it plays to its strengths and so that it delivers the values of the client that we need it to but you know if it's not wrong and you actually need a Shopify site then you should get a Shopify site and not try, you know, not Embraco plus e-commerce module. Wonderful. I didn't. I realized I didn't ask about your use of, uh, or if you use packages or integrations with uh, other platforms and other tools. As you touched on there, talking about Umbraco and separation of concerns and so on, is most of what you do Umbraco and then custom, or do you also do a lot of integration or any integration with other platforms or other tooling? Well, as far as integrations go, we do have uh, quite a number of projects that integrate with um, uh, with third-party uh, third-party analytics tools, with uh, CRMs, with uh, we, we pretty extensively use um, uh, I guess Embraco 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 plugins, uh, quite a number of Embraco plugins as well. So, for instance, one that we use quite often is um, uh, the, the Google Analytics plugin from Embraco. Which uh, we find um, it, it's just very nice having having an oversight over over your um, website's analytics from within the same place that you you edit your content. Uh, another one that we quite 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 like as well is the uh, the URL rewrite module because uh, uh, otherwise you know uh, uh, your URL rewrites is quite a, quite a manual process quite 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 directed by uh, the agency as opposed to the client. Uh, of course, we prefer to. We prefer for the client to do that as, as uh, to do that for themselves, be able to do that for themselves as much as possible where possible. Uh, so, so, so really, yeah. I mean, I mean, we love integration. It's essentially, uh, we can find an opportunity to make because integrations make life easier. Really, you know, uh, if if we find an opportunity to 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 integrate something that the client uses with Embraco, and, and like, yeah, that 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 would make life easier for them. You know, we'll we'll, we'll hit them up. We'll. Uh, get something going and, and we do it all the time here thank you so much both of you for your time today i really appreciate it final final question is there anything else you'd like to add and other are, are you happy with me to uh you know, what links should i share with the podcast okay, we've covered off pretty much everything um so the website bka.co.nz um the mirror tool we talked about earlier is get-mirror.com um, which is live i believe and no, just happy if you are happy to answer any more questions and stuff um, as you go through the series as well. We we love talking about Embraco. Got our we we host the only Embraco meetup in, in New Zealand, so we've got that one next week. 
So uh, if there's anything that you want us to canvas them for or you want to somehow be involved, then we should probably have about 20 people or so at our Umbraco meetup next week. You can get all the links and notes from this episode on happyporchradio.com. If you enjoyed the show, please spare a moment to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Thanks for listening.